The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This can be found on page 987 of your Pew Bible. When we know the true character of God and the abundance of the gifts he has given to us, we are prompted to steward those gifts in a manner that brings glory to him. A reading from Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the 14th verse. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Five years ago, I came to Sandwich Church for the very first time to interview for a pastoral internship position. And afterwards, I took a stroll on the church grounds, taking in the beauty of God's creation that surrounded this place. When I heard the still, small voice of God say to me, this place is fertile ground. Everything that is sown multiplies and bears fruit. Now, I didn't know much about Stanwich at the time, but after being here for five years, I can testify that this is true. This morning, we're going to look at the parable of the talents. 
Now, some of you might be wondering why we're in the Gospel of Matthew when we've been studying Israel in the wilderness for the last several weeks. Just to give you a little bit of context, Matthew's chapter 24, 25 speak of times leading up to the coming return of Jesus. Jesus says that those times it will be earthquakes and famines, wars and rumors of wars, where nation will rise against nation. Doesn't that kind of sound like the times that we're living in today? Well, Jesus uses this parable of the talents in Matthew 25 to teach us about his kingdom and what he expects from his followers when he returns. But beyond that, I believe that through this parable, God is actually telling a story that is speaking into what is happening at Stanwich Church. The parable of the talents is a story about a master who goes away on a journey and delegates three of his servants to manage his property while he's gone. To the first servant, he gives five talents. To the second servant, he gives two talents. And to the third servant, he gives one talent, each according to his ability. Now, back then, the talent was worth about 20 years worth of wages for an average worker. That would have been like millions of dollars today. Imagine saving 20 years of your income and then entrusting everything you made to someone else. Now, in today's world, we call those folks financial advisors or investment analysts, a job that I know probably some of you here are familiar with. And similarly, back then, wealthy landowners also had the option of either hiring trained accountants or using their own servants to manage their wealth. Now, what I find interesting about this parable is how the story begins. The master did not hire strangers or outside help to manage his property, but he entrusted his property to his own servants. That means that if Jesus was using this parable to teach about himself, the servants in the story most likely pointed to Christ's followers. In the parable, all three servants are given talents by their master, each according to his ability. In other words, they each received something from their master. It wasn't something that they had to come up with on their own, but they were given seed to sow. That shows tremendous trust from the master. He doesn't know how his servants will fare or what the outcome will be, and yet He takes the risk upon himself and gives everything he has to his servants. That's the surprise found in this parable. The risk is entirely on the master. You know, sometimes I think we tend to make it too much about us. The sheer pressure and the fear of failure or disappointing others can prevent us from using our gifts for God. But if we truly believe that everything we receive comes from God in the first place, then the risk really isn't on us, but it's on God. Isn't it liberating to know that regardless of whether we fail or succeed, as long as we step out in obedience, it is God who takes the liability? And yet some of us still won't take the risk, even though God has given us everything we need. Let's read what happens to the servants in the parable when the master returns from his trip. Read with me starting in verse 16. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now what an unusual thing to do. Whereas the first two servants didn't waste any time putting their master's money to work and doubled their earnings, the third servant does the exact opposite. Instead of investing his master's money, he buries it and hides it in the ground. Why would he do that? Back then, burying money was actually considered the best security against theft. Actually, some people today might still believe this to be true. I know my grandmother used to do this when she was alive, where she would bury money either under the mattress or in an old suitcase. And I wonder, maybe if there are some old-timers out there that still bury, my, bury money like my grandmother did. Well, back when Jesus taught this parable, this was a common practice. And there was actually a Jewish law that said that if a person entrusted with money buried it as soon as it was given to them, he would be free from liability if anything should happen to it. The servant in this parable did not see his talent as an investment opportunity, but he saw it as a tremendous burden. He didn't care about his master. He was looking out for his own skin. That's what he says in verse 29, 25, here you have what is yours. You see, back then, that was a common phrase used in Jewish transactions to say, I am no longer responsible for this any further. The servant didn't want anything to do with his master or his mission. And why didn't he want anything to do with his master? Well, verse 24 reveals his motive. Read along with me what it says. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Here is the issue. It says very clearly in verse 25, so I was afraid. Fear. Fear is what kept the servant from investing his talent. And why was he afraid? Well, it says in that same verse, he perceived his master to be a hard man. And that word hard translated in Greek describes someone who is demanding, difficult, fierce, and harsh. Well, no wonder the servant did nothing. Who would want to work for someone who is harsh, demanding, and difficult? This is a really important key here, because what we learn from this story is that fear can distort our perception of God, which can then ultimately influence how we respond to God and his mission. If we have a skewed negative perception of God, like the servant did of his master, thinking that he's a hard, scary, or distant man, fear is most likely going to keep us from doing anything for God and for others, just like the servant who buried the talent. Fear kills seed, but seed sown in faith multiplies and bears fruit. 
Over the years, I've prayed for myself and for numerous people through this very obstacle of allowing fear to distort the perception of God. And so often what I found is that authority figures that we grow up with tend to shape the way that we perceive God, the highest authority figure, whether we realize it or not. So if you've had a hard or emotionally absent father, let's say, for example, or a really difficult boss or a teacher, there's a chance that it could be influencing the way you perceive God. Instead of seeing God as loving and good, we can project the image of that hard person on God. But what I've discovered over the years is that God is unlike any earthly authority figure that I've ever encountered. He's extremely patient, merciful, and abundantly good. And by the power of the Spirit, through prayer, through new experience, and renewing our minds with the word, we can begin to have a more accurate perception of God. But unfortunately for this servant, who buried his talent, he couldn't see his master for who he truly was. Fear of his master kept him back from the mission. And sadly, the story doesn't end well for him, and he is judged for his actions, or lack thereof. The master says, starting in verse 29, For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. For from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now you might be sitting there thinking, whoa, this sounds pretty harsh. I mean, the poor guy may not have made any money, but at least he didn't lose it, right? So why is the master so angry? I thought you couldn't earn your way to salvation. Why is this man being judged for his works? Now, I want to take a moment and clarify this first because it could seem very perplexing when you first read it. Indeed, salvation is a gift from God received by faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the message of the gospel. And it's what we preach from the pulpit here every Sunday. Jesus has already done all the work for us on the cross. There's absolutely nothing we could do to add to that finished work. And we receive his gift of salvation simply by believing. But this parable here is not talking about salvation through works. It's talking about what we do as the result of salvation. It is what we do in response to God's love that was poured out for us on the cross. Our salvation is not based on our works, but rather our works is a byproduct of our salvation. That's why the master was upset. He took this great risk upon himself and generously gave everything he had to his servant, giving him seed to sow. And yet the servant didn't do anything with it. It shows lack of appreciation for the gift that was given from the master. There's an important truth here in this parable that I don't want us to miss. It's that everything we receive 
comes from God. And one day, we will be held accountable for what we do with it. Jesus, our master, has entrusted us, his servants, with the gospel and to advance his kingdom here on earth. And God has given each one of us talents, different skills, gifts, and resources to help accomplish that mission. Each of these talents were given by God to use in ways that glorify him and draw people to him. And if we really believe in the good news of what Jesus has done for us, then it is impossible for us to sit around and bury our talents. We want to get out there and put it to work to testify the goodness of our God. And when we do that, there's a special blessing that comes with it. Listen to this invitation from the master in verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the blessing. When we faithfully steward what God has given us, we get to share in the joy and the inheritance of our master. When we take on God's mission as our own, his joy becomes our joy. And we get to experience joy watching seeds grow, multiply, and expand God's kingdom. And this is the very thing that God has been doing throughout the life of Stanwich Church. The parable of the talents is actually our story. Imagine with me for a moment farmers from the 1700s sowing seeds into the fertile soil expecting a harvest of apples and potatoes and corn and rye and all sorts of crops. And one day, as they're sowing their seeds and tilling the ground beneath them, they sense the Holy Spirit prompting them to sow a different kind of seed, one that will make a lasting impact for God's kingdom and for the generations to come. In 1731, 27 farmers in Greenwich and 19 farmers in Stanford petitioned their local government to form a new church community. That is how Stanwich Church began. Those farmers back then probably had no clue what God would do with their seeds sown in faith. Thanks to their sacrifice and obedience to the Spirit, our church has grown and we've been able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for nearly 300 years. I can imagine those farmers going up to heaven, being greeted by Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. That same thing happened again, hundreds of years later, when the Holy Spirit spoke to this congregation under the leadership of pastors Neely Tal and Joan Osgood to purchase land in Greenwich so that the church can grow. This beautiful church that we're in right now is the fruit of those seeds that were sown in faith. Those of you that were there so generously with your time, your skills, 
and your finances. And because of your faithfulness, we get to worship God and encounter his presence here on this beautiful church property every Sunday. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the power of God's kingdom economy. When we sow seeds in faith, it never stops growing and multiplying. And here we are today, about to purchase a building in Stanford because the gospel is spreading to the city. About three years ago, our Thursday morning men's group was studying this very passage on the parable of the talents. And that same morning, Nathan received this phone call that someone from the congregation had left our church a seed, a legacy gift of a half a million dollars. Now, initially, upon hearing this news, Nathan thought, great, this is going to really help boost our church's annual budget. But as he led this study of the parable of the talents, both him and Mark Curtis, who was the elder chair at the time, were hit by the Holy Spirit, just like those farmers in 1731, to not bury the seed, but to sow it and multiply it. The two men stayed behind after everyone left to discuss what they should do with the gift. Well, the safe, least risky option was to drop it into the operating fund. But if that happened, then they felt that they would be robbing the people the joy of tithing by saying, hey, you don't have to tithe that much this year because you know, we've already covered our annual budget. That would have been like the last servant who hid his talent. Instead, they felt inspired by the word of God to do something new. For years, church leaders have been praying for God's ongoing work in Stanford, and we were quickly outgrowing the space in the boxing gym where we worshiped. That was when the idea came to invest towards a permanent Christ-centered space in Stanford where people could encounter God seven days a week. The Holy Spirit moved among our elder board in the same manner, and they came to the same conclusion that they needed to sow and multiply the seed instead of burying it. And in just three years' time, that half a million dollar seed has grown and multiplied to $10 million today. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. Only God can multiply seeds sown in faith like that. When we first shared the Stanford vision with you all, many of you responded joyfully by sowing seeds of your own. You were like those first two servants in the parable that didn't waste any time and immediately responded to the invitation with joy. Because of your generosity, we are in a strong position as we get ready to take ground in Stanford. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the reality is that this is just the beginning. Once we buy the building, it will need to go through extensive repairs and renovations. We will need to roll up our sleeves as we build this house of God and the new community that God is calling us to reach in Stanford. We will need lots of prayer with every phase of the build-out, just like we did back then with this church building. And this morning, we'd like to take the opportunity to celebrate the story that God has been writing throughout the history of Stanwich Church. 
The same Holy Spirit that moved through those farmers in 1731 is moving through us today as we get to joyfully partake in God's kingdom expansion in both Greenwich and Stanford. So as I close, I'd like to invite the band to come back up, and they will lead us in worship. And as they do, I invite you to take a moment to seek God in prayer and ask whether he might be calling you to sow a seed today. Now, for some of you, that seed may be a financial gift to help us reach our fundraising goal to buy a church building in Stanford. But for others of you, God might be calling you to sow a seed of time. Perhaps he's calling you to volunteer, either with our children's ministry or students' ministry, or to serve as a care minister. Or perhaps he's calling you to pray for the church once a week as we expand our ministries in Stanford. Whether it's time that you're willing to give, skills and talents that you have, or treasure that you want to sow, every seed, even the smallest prayer of faith, is significant and can multiply God's kingdom. Once you know what you feel led to give, we ask that you would write that down on this pledge card that was handed to you this morning as you walked into the worship service. And if you haven't received the pledge card for whatever reason, feel free to raise your hand at this time, and one of our ushers will bring it to you. Now, for those of you who did fill out a pledge card in the past or have already sewn a gift, we encourage you to actually write that information down on this pledge card along with the date when you sewed that gift. Because today... We're celebrating all that God did in the past, present, and future as we get ready to take ground in Stanford for Jesus. And as we come up for communion to receive the most priceless gift of Jesus' body and blood, we'll have the opportunity to give back to God these seeds of faith, treasure, and time as an act of worship. Anyone who feels led to give can bring their pledge cards up front as they come up for communion and drop it off in the basket here in front of the altar table. And for those of you worshiping from home, if you would like to participate in this moment of celebration, please email your pledges to pledges at sandwichchurch.org. I'd like to end by asking you this question. What would it look like for us to enter into the joy of Jesus, our master? Well, I think we got a small glimpse of that two weeks ago when we had our congregational meeting here on Monday night. It was a historic moment for our church as the congregation voted yes in the acquisition of 252 Atlantic Street in Stanford. There was an unmistakable joy and excitement in the room that could only come from the Holy Spirit, knowing that the gospel was about to be preached to thousands of more people. Sandwich family, God is writing a story of faith and multiplication through our church. And with these seeds that we're about to sow, we are sowing into the lives of those who will come into the kingdom of God long after we're gone, just like those farmers did in 1731. 
And that is a worthwhile investment. So may God bless and multiply our seeds of faith for his kingdom and for his glory. May the gospel go forth for another 300 years, reaching more people and more cities for Jesus. So let us sow, watch it grow, and let us enter into the joy of our master. Glory to God.